You're listening to the Tri-State Community Church Podcast, a ministry of the Associate Reformed Presbyterian Church located in the greater Pittsburgh metropolitan area. For more information, including service times, please visit us at facebook.com forward slash Tri-State Reformed Church. We're just going to read uh, uh, two verses, uh, Romans 5 uh, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these holy and sacred words. We thank you for the truth We thank you for these uh, great doctrines, uh, life-changing things that are in these verses. And Father, we look to you this morning that, Father, you would flesh these out. You would open them up to our hearts, that you would speak to our hearts, that, uh, Father, you you would apply these things, that uh, these things uh, would not just be things of curiosity, but they would truly be life-shaping and forming. So we look to you for this uh, work. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Last time we spent our time really largely with a word study, just one word, uh, uh, actually two words, uh, one English word, but two biblical words. Uh, the word peace, we looked at shalom in the Old Testament and we looked at Irenaeus in the New Testament, uh, both translated peace and and it's it's a fascinating it's a fascinating concept, isn't it? I mean, we can think of it as uh, a friendly greeting, if you will. Uh, I think commonly in our culture we think of it as uh, 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 freedom from war or conflict. Uh, we may think of it as freedom from inward turmoil and strife, but as we begin to look at the word, we we, we see that uh, it also speaks to completeness and wholeness and. Uh, prosperity, doesn't it? Uh, just taking a, a, a look in the news and seeing that there are uh, countries and nations and peoples who are actually starving because of conflict. Uh, there's so much conflict that all of their energies are being spent in trying to survive the conflict instead of working and, and earning a living, uh, farming or uh, caring for livestock. So we see that as, as Christ brings peace into our lives, we actually are enabled to prosper. And uh, really, uh, only as Christ brings peace into our life, are we able to prosper. And all of this, all of these wonderful things, they, uh, they, they, they reach their summit in that peace that we get and we have with God in Christ Jesus. Um, the peace of being reconciled. Uh, with the Father. And I wanted to spend so much time on peace. And, and, and this morning, we're going to do the same thing with access. Uh, the reason I want to spend so much time with these, you know, it, some of you who uh, who have ever ridden mountain bikes might understand. I mean, there's places in your course where you can go pretty quickly. Uh, there's other places in your course that you ought not to go very quickly. Um, we were down in uh, uh, one time uh, a number of years ago down in Canaan Valley. I don't know if anyone has ever ridden mountain bikes in Canaan Valley or not, but we didn't really realize what we were getting into down there. And we ended up on this expert trail and it was really beautiful and it was great for the start. You know, there was 
lots of nice smooth places, but it wasn't long before, boy, did we get into it. I went over the handlebars that afternoon three times and was carrying a, a backpack on the back with uh, all our food and everything in it. And when we finally got down to this little shelter and started rooting through all the food, I mean, there were peanut butter and jelly sandwiches all smashed in the baggie, and it was pretty cool. <laughs> It was nice and comfortable, you know, when you went over the handlebars to land on that stuff. But, uh, oh well, enough about that. There are places in the course where you have to slow down. You know, there were actually routes and things where you actually, it's really a lot of fun where you got to get your pedals just right to get through. And Paul's letters are like that. There's places where, in case you're wondering if there's any point in this mountain bike story, uh, there's places where you can go kind of quickly and there's other places where I think you need to stop. I mean, we need to just get the pedals over these these things. And um, uh, the word uh, peace, uh, I, I felt we need to spend invest at least one Sunday morning on it because it's widely believed in our our culture that everyone has peace with God. I mean, um, I, I'm I'm constantly reminded that everyone thinks no one's looking for a savior because everyone thinks they're saved. Um, and secondly, we, we don't really understand the word. The more we, we understand the word and its import, uh, the more we come to appreciate what Christ has done for us. It magnifies him, doesn't it? We, we begin to think, wow, I mean, there's more to this than just being forgiven of your sins. Yes, uh, this peace actually is greater than that. And when we come to this word access, if you look at verse 2, we're told that through him and antecedent to him, of course, is Jesus Christ. Uh, through Christ, we could say, uh, we have obtained access. We've obtained access. Now, I want to spend time on access because it's commonly believed in our culture that everybody has access. Um, access to God. I mean, sure, we have access to God. I mean, we can pray. I mean, um, uh, you pray however you pray. You know, if you if you're a Muslim, then pray the way Muslims pray. And if you if you're um, Mormons, then pray the way Mormons pray. And if you're if you're Jewish, then pray that way. And uh, if you're Buddhist, pray that way. And and it's believed today, as most of you know, that it doesn't really matter how you get to God, just as long as you're sincere and getting to Him. So I guess access and many minds today would be sincerity. Uh, sincerity gains us access. As long as you're, you know, if you're Hindu or you're Jewish or you're whatever, as long as you're sincere and devout in what you believe, you have access. So that, I think, is what is commonly believed. And uh, Christianity uh, insists that this is false. Christianity insists that no, there is no other way to the Father except through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And this is, uh, um, this, especially in our current culture right now, this couldn't be more offensive to people than this claim. And people will say, how can you, you would have the audacity uh, to claim that you guys are right and the rest of the world is wrong. And I would like to treat that this morning um, uh, in, in a few moments. And I think before we treat that, before we give an answer to that, 
I think it would be good to do just a, a quick little review of what we sometimes call history of salvation. Uh, there's a there's a sometimes if you're reading literature theology, you'll come across the 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 German word and you come across and you think I have no idea what that is. Helgescheit. Has anyone ever heard that word? Helgescheit. You might have seen it written and you'd be like, what is that? It's the German word for uh, history of salvation. I only bring it to your attention in case you're reading literature. If you're reading anything and you see it and you're wondering what it is, well, that's what it is. Uh, But it's a very important concept. And if we do that, I mean, we could think of Genesis 3, if you will. I mean, if you keep your place in Romans and, and we go to Genesis 3, which... I think most of us are very familiar with Genesis 3. Genesis 3 is is, is such an important chapter. If we didn't have Genesis 3, we could hardly understand the mess that we're in. But Genesis 3 makes the mess that we're in quite clear. You know, in in verse 1, we have this, uh, uh, this malicious character who comes into the garden. Now, prior to this... You know, if we back up just a little bit, God has created uh, Adam and he's created Eve. God has told Adam in verse 16 of chapter 2 that you may surely eat of every tree in the garden. uh, Verse 17, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. He promises them that if you eat of it, you will die. And in chapter 3, this malicious character comes in and he is putting his best foot forward to convince Eve to do exactly what God has commanded uh, not to be done. And uh, he tempts Eve, and you know how the story goes. Uh, The the food, and this is the way temptation works, isn't it? Um, You know, there's that which, there's those things which we would never go near, but then our flesh, the world, the evil one, comes in and convinces us that this is the, this is okay, it's going to be all right. Uh, this is really the path for happiness. Uh, go down this road, and uh, this happens to uh, Eve, and suddenly uh, this forbidden fruit becomes delightful to her. The prospects of being autonomous from God becomes delightful. The prospects of being like God becomes delightful. And she takes some of the fruit, and she eats of it, and her husband uh, does likewise. And then what happens? This this wonderful communion that Adam and Eve had with God suddenly becomes breached, doesn't it? Um, The access that they once had uh, is no more. You know, you you can go places and uh, you can see signs where it'll say no admittance uh, or it'll say uh, authorized personnel only uh, or it'll say employees only. That means that uh, if you're just a, a, a customer or a consumer, you're not to go beyond this point. You don't have access. And in the rebellion against God, humanity lost access with God. We lost. It's gone. And this is shown for us very clearly. If you look in Genesis 3, Uh, Verse 23, the Lord God sent him, that is Adam, and of course Eve with him, out of the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. And he drove out the man. Do you see that? 
verse 24, he, he didn't just ask him to leave. He drove him out of his presence. And at the east gate of the Garden of Eden, he put up a sign saying no admittance, right? No. He stationed a mighty angel, a cherubim, with a flaming sword that turned every way to guard, to guard the way to the tree of life. So, so it's not just, okay, you know, we're, we're, we're just going to ask you to, to excuse yourself and uh, walk out the door. No, uh, they, they were run out of there and a sentry was placed at the, at the point of access so that there could be no return. The access is lost. It's very clearly lost in Genesis 3. Now, if you turn to Exodus 19, that'd be a good spot. As we continue in the story, Exodus 19. Now, uh, background to Exodus 19, as many of you well know, is, is God has led Israel out of, uh, out of Egypt where they were enslaved to Pharaoh. They've crossed the Red Sea and... Uh, it's, we're told it's the third new moon after the people of Israel, verse 1 of 19. It's the third new moon after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt. Um, so really probably 90 days uh, later, uh, the Lord uh, comes to them. Uh, on that day, they, came, they come to the wilderness of Sinai. Uh, they sent out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. Then Israel encamped before the mountain. Uh, verse 3, while Moses went up to God, the Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Uh, we skip down to verse 9. Uh, and the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. Uh, when Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people, consecrate them today and tomorrow, and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in sight of all of the people and you shall set what? Limits for the people all around saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be what? Put to death. No access. No access. You see that? No, no access. No admittance beyond this point uh, upon the pain of death. And if we continue to study Exodus, we'll learn that um, God gives Moses directions to build a tabernacle and uh, he gives him very uh, detailed instructions on how to build this tabernacle. And um, some of you are well aware that they were to make this outer court, if you will. They were to make a tent that had two rooms in it. Uh, the two rooms were separated by a curtain. Uh, the first room that was entered in was the holy place. 
And then the room beyond the holy place was the most holy place. And in the most holy place there, the Ark of the Covenant was to be installed and kept. And this would mark uh, the presence of God. Now, uh, could just anybody from Israel go waltzing into the holy place? They didn't have access. Uh, The priesthood, some of the priesthood had access to the most holy place or to the holy place. But what about the most holy place? No admittance beyond this point. Uh, Only the high priest could enter into the most holy place and that only once a year. And after a battery of purification and uh, uh, sacrificial rites and the high priest, uh, Leviticus 16 gives us these uh, these uh, details, the high priest would would go in and he would offer incense in there and fill the whole room up with incense and he would go in there to make atonement. It would be on the day of atonement that the high priest would go in there. You couldn't go in there and just do your own thing. And we have a, some stories in the Old Testament about people who tried that and uh, they, they were executed, were they not? Uh, there's no access. There's no access. And... Um, uh, we, we find this to be the case all the way until if, if you turn to Matthew chapter 27. And there we find uh, Jesus is being crucified. He's hanging on the cross. Matthew 27, page 834, if you're using the church's Bible. Mind you, at this point in time, there is no access. No access. Now from the sixth hour, verse 45, I'm sorry, Matthew 27, verse 45. Now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, That is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling Elijah. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But others said, wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Now look at verse 51. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, many of you know the significance of that, don't you? But there might be a few that have never heard this before. Uh, when that, What's up with this curtain? You read this for the first time, you think, what is up with this curtain? Well, there's now access. For the first time since Genesis 3. It's symbolic of that there's access. The curtain is torn in two. The way has been opened. And in fact, Christianity, uh, before it was called Christianity, was, was referred to as the way. The way. The way. Not a way. The way. See, we see here that um, it's the testimony of Scripture everywhere. 
I mean, I skipped a lot of stuff here. But it's the, it's the testimony of Scripture everywhere that only through Christ Jesus do we have access. And I'm going to bring up a word that we studied in, in Romans 3 just a, a, a number of messages ago, uh, the, the word propitiation. Christ has made propitiation for his people. What is that? Now, you'll recall that uh, Christ has appeased God's anger for our, uh, for our rebellion. Uh, one of the things that Jesus is doing there is not simply atoning for our sins, not simply paying the guilt of our sins, but he's actually appeasing God's wrath in our place. You see, something has to be done with that. Something has to be done with the sin. Something has to be done in order for a way to be open for us to be able to come into the presence of God. And of course, uh, uh, to deny that Jesus is the only way into the Father is to deny the cross. It's to deny the propitiation of Jesus. It's to deny the expiation of Jesus. It's to deny the atonement of the cross. It's a, it's, it's a complete denial of all of that. Of everything that Jesus did, it's a denial of his perfect life. It's a denial of God's holiness, his justice, his goodness, his truth. The whole thing actually comes falling completely down as soon as we deny that. Now, I don't think many of us put all that together, but that's what it is. And we need to understand that's what it is. Now, how do we counter the offense? I promised you in a few minutes, I would say a little bit about that. Um, I have encountered the offense, and maybe some of you have as well. Have any of you ever had the experience where you're trying to tell someone about Jesus, that he's the only way, and someone to say, man, that is arrogant. Yeah, I figured I'd see a couple of heads bobbling, you know. Um, what do we say? It does sound arrogant, doesn't it? I, I, I can tell you what I do. I will, I will confess, listen, if what I'm offering you here is my personal opinion, that it is my personal opinion that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through him. If that is my personal opinion, and only my personal opinion, here, I concede with you, this is very arrogant. It's very arrogant. But it's not my opinion. I'm repeating what I've learned from the Scriptures. I'm not the one who made that claim initially. I'm just simply repeating a claim that was made. Who made that claim? Jesus made that claim. Jesus made that claim. In fact, Jesus made a number of claims. And, and what, I, what I like to do is point, I, you know, uh, I, 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 like to get every, I like to point away from myself. When someone is saying that is arrogant, I said, well, wait a second. Okay, listen, you really don't have a problem with me, so to speak, here. Um, I try to get the conversation towards Christ. That's what we got to do. We got to lead people to Jesus. We got to take people to Jesus. And I said, well, here, you know, here's a couple of passages. Um, we're in Matthew, so uh, turn back to Matthew 10 for a moment. And mind you, these... These are, these are not my words. I didn't write these words. These are, you know, the, these aren't my words. These words are Christ's words. And Matthew 10, verse 32, you know, Shirley had brought these words up uh, at Bible study on Wednesday. Uh, verse 32, Jesus says, Everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, 
I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Again, see, these, these, these aren't my words. These are Christ's words. So you see, you're, you're taking, you're taking the, 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 the argument away from yourself and you're, you're putting it on much firmer ground. If all this was, was my opinion, then yes. If, if all I am doing is projecting my opinion, that my opinion, you know, in my estimation, in my judgment, I'm right and everyone else is wrong, then that's arrogant. Uh, what, what, why is my opinion so much better than everyone else's? But that's not what we're doing here. We're saying, listen, these are the claims of Christ. This all comes down to who you believe Christ to be. It really comes down to who is Jesus. Is he God in the flesh? If he's God in the flesh, okay, uh, these are his claims. Uh, we could look at another one in uh, 11.27. Just skip to 11.27, Matthew 11.27. And, and these verses are easier to remember where they are if you actually take some time and read the narrative and read, read the narrative and you'll be able to find these places easier. But in Matthew 11, 27, Jesus says, all things have been handed over to me by my father and no one knows the son except the father and no one knows the father except the son and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal to him. In other words, not everybody has access here. This is speaking about access, isn't it? Almost sounds like he's saying I'm the door. I think he said that somewhere, didn't he? I'm the door. Uh, turn to John chapter 10. Jesus is such an incredible teacher. Get familiar with this, um, with this story that Jesus tells in John 10. Page 896, if you're using the church's Bible. Chapter 10, verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold or enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. That's simple enough, isn't it? But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger will not follow, but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am what? I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Verse nine, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. And, uh, of course, I've been quoting John 14 and verse 6. If you turn to 14 and verse 6. I laid these all out so we weren't going back and forth so much. Uh, John 14, verse 6. Jesus says, I am the way. I am the way. 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So you see, the, cl- the claims are being made by Christ. They're not being made by us. We're just simply repeating claims that are being made by Jesus. I think, and this is what I will do whenever I'm encountering this, as I have opportunity, is to lead people to Jesus. Um, and the apostles, they say the same thing. If you go to Acts chapter 4, there's a song we sing sometimes. It's been a while, I think, we, since we've sang it, but uh, there's a song written about this verse. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. This would be a good verse to use in those situations. And I'm trying to give you some practical things to help as you're trying to answer these questions at the water cooler and the coffee maker or wherever it is, the gym. Acts chapter 4 verse 12, there is salvation in what? No one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among man by which we must be saved. So you see this in the testimony of the apostles as well. They were eyewitnesses of these things that have taken place. Um, I, I found a quote by Matthew Henry that I think is so helpful here. And this is the reason I wanted to read Acts chapter 9 this morning. So the, the story of of Paul being blinded on the Damascus road and then having to be led by his friends into Damascus would be fresh on our minds. Um, Matthew Henry, he, he writes, uh, quote, Paul, blinded by the light of the glory of Christ on the Damascus road, had others to lead him by the hand to Damascus, but only Christ could lead him by hand into this grace. Only Christ can do it. There's no other way. It's only through Christ. I I think an application of this is we can invite people to come uh, on Easter. We can invite people in here. But if you recall from my pastoral prayer, we want more than that going on. Because we can bring people into a room like this, but we can't bring anyone into this grace, can we? Only Christ can do that. Be of good cheer. It's his good pleasure to do it. It's his good pleasure to do it. So um, here we see that very clearly there's only way to access us through faith in Jesus Christ. I want to spend the rest of our time looking at what we, you know, what what we're given access to. I think I think too many sermons are like they stop right here, you know, and we're like, okay, hurrah, hurrah, man. This is great. Okay, only through Christ we have access to this grace. You know, this is super. All right, I'm, I'm ready to go, man. I'm ready to go. I got my verses, you know, Acts 4.12. I'm, I'm armed and loaded and off we go. Uh, but let's ask a simple question before we do that. What are we given access to? It's a little ha- ha- lot harder to talk about that, isn't it? You know, earlier in the week, as I was thinking, well, okay, we probably ought to flesh this out. What are we given access to? And I was like, you know, I had this blank sheet of paper, you know, that kind of stayed blank for a while. Um, How do we put this into words? And it was it wasn't until I I really came across some writings of a man by how many have heard of Alexander McLaren? Has anybody ever heard of Alexander? He was a contemporary of Charles Spurgeon, and uh, he, he wrote a lot of stuff that's really helpful and the second part of this sermon, I'm so indebted to him that I'll just, listen, if you want to credit all this to him, that would be fine with me. Um, you know, 
He, he takes a look at this and says, okay, what, what is this grace? If you, if you go back to Romans chapter 5, verse 2, we're told that through Christ we have also obtained access by faith. Access to what? Well, it's access into this grace. It's access into this grace. So through Christ, we have access into this grace. Well, what is this grace? Well, uh, on, a, on a, uh, a macro level, we could say it's, it's, it's the presence of God. Uh, we're now reconciled and we have access. You know, you could think that you could think of the whole uh, the holy of holies, the most holy place. We have access to come into the most holy place because the way has been opened for us in Christ Jesus. We can all pray and we can pray. We, we, we don't need someone to pray for us. We can pray. Jesus commands us to come straight to him. Uh, you don't need a man to stand between you and Jesus. In fact, if I, if a, if a, if a, 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 a pastor or a priest or anyone else tries to get between you and Jesus, uh, they're sinning against Christ. Now, he has opened up a way so that we have access uh, to uh, Christ ourselves. But, okay, what does that involve? Okay, we've got access to the, to, the, to the presence of God. What is that about? Well, McLaren, he starts by talking about grace. What is grace? And he offers kind of a three-part definition of grace. I've changed the wording a little bit just to make it a little easier for you to sit there. And you, There are some things that are to be read and there are some things that are to be heard and they're different things. It's sometimes very difficult to sit and listen to some of these quotes, but I think I've put this in a way that you'll get it. Uh, the first thing he says about grace is that grace is the act of love of God poured out upon inferiors deserving something very different. I like the way he puts that. Deserving something very different. That's a really kind way to put it, isn't it? Deserving something, oh, you better believe it's very different. It's the act of love of God poured out upon inferiors, deserving something very different. If you look at verse 5, Romans chapter 5, verse 5, we get a little bit of that. Where we're told hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been what? Poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. That's grace. Because we deserve something very different, don't we? Okay, God's love being poured into our heart. What's that like? Alexander, Alexander McLaren gives this uh, example from nature that I was going to read to you, but I thought, as I thought about doing it, and I read it several times thinking, okay, how can I read this? I thought, you know what? I can just make up my own just as easy, and I think it would go better if I did just that. Uh, it being a new year, uh, some of you, how many got new calendars? Uh, you, you get these calendars, and, and a lot of these calendars, they have, they have pictures from nature, you know? And I can't remember where I've seen it recently. I don't remember if it was a calendar or if it was a screensaver on the computer, but I saw this beautiful mountainous scene that was by this lake. If you can imagine a lake and this beautiful mountainous peak be on the other side of the lake, and there's, there's the green spruce trees. And you, you see what I'm, I'm talking about here? Imagine this scene on a day like Friday. Friday has to be like one of the most miserable days. Was Friday, how many of you had to be out on Friday? Like getting in and out of the car like all day? It was miserable, wasn't it? It never stopped raining and it was like gray. And not, not you know, you, you just... 
Everything's there. You know, if we go back to our, our scene, I mean, everything's there. The lake's there. Uh, the mountainous peak is there. The spruce trees are there. The, 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 the animals and there, the birds and everything else are all there. But imagine we're camping on a day like Friday. It's still going to be nice. We're going to say, wow, look at this. This is really something. But imagine if the rays of the sun are allowed to protrude through the gray and begin to enlighten everything. Imagine if by God's grace, the winds of God's grace, the winds of his Holy Spirit begin to push the gray away so that the sky becomes blue and everything becomes wonderfully radiated. And then suddenly you're staring at the lake and you're thinking, oh my goodness, look at this lake. On the outside edges, it's blue. And in the middle, there's a perfect reflection of this glorious mountainous peak reflecting on the lake the beautiful whites of the snow cap and the grays of the stone and the greens of the spruce trees and there perched on a limb is the beautiful reds of a cardinal and on another limb is the beautiful blues of a of a blue jay that's a lot like a heart isn't it when God's rays of his grace begins to shine on the heart and begins to illuminate the heart of his love. How else do you put it? Have you experienced that? God's rays shining in your heart, lightening things up. The act of love of God being poured out upon inferiors deserving something very different. And um, the second thing that Alexander McLaren speaks about in terms of grace is he says that sometimes grace speaks of the specific individualized gifts that come out of that great reservoir of patient, pardoning, condescending and bestowing love. Uh, in other words, specific individualized gifts that come from the rays of God's love shining into our hearts. Well, well, let's flesh that out for a minute. Um, McLaren writes, a Christian life, he writes, quote, a Christian life may and therefore should be enriched with continual gifts from God's fullness. Well, what does that mean? Well, um, gifts of grace for tasks that we've been called to. Like currently I'm preaching. <laughs> Doi. Yeah, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? Um, I say that kind of jestingly, but I need grace for this task, do I not? And one of the gifts, you know, when you when you when when you have access to God, He gives us He gives us grace for the tasks that we're called to do, doesn't He? How many times have you prayed for that grace? Okay, I got something I got to do. It's going to be tough. I need Your grace, Lord. Help me. There's a gift. Alexander McLaren is saying the Christian life may and therefore should be enriched with continual gifts, continual gifts, continual gifts, gifts all the time. In fact, if we think about it, 
The metaphors that Paul's using in Romans 5 too are really metaphors of almost like a place. Look, look what he's doing here. And I think what's going on here is the apostle Paul saw Jesus. That's one of the criteria for being an apostle is that you saw the risen Lord. He saw Jesus. He, he, he has had experiences that we have not had. How do you put these experiences into words? It's like he's reaching for metaphors that he can use to try to uh, put this into words. What words could possibly uh, encompass this? How would you communicate this? And he says, through him, we've obtained access. Uh, that speaks of going into some place, Right. He's kind of speaking of a place, going into some place. We have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. In which we stand. It's like, okay, here's this place. It's beyond those doors. Christ is the door. And inside there, as we go into the holy place in Christ Jesus, there's this place. And what is this place? Alexander McLaren calls it a palace. Oh, it's a palace. No, no, it's not a palace. It's a treasure house. It's a treasure house. And inside the treasure house are all these gifts. And you read the Psalms with this in mind and suddenly the Psalms, they just, I mean, they just become open. Oh Lord, how long? Come into the treasure house. You need grace to endure the storm. Last week we were praying for grace to endure storms. Did you get it? Did you get the grace? You better believe you got the grace. You did, didn't you? And the Christian life is to be a life like that. It's to be for the hour of difficulty, for the hour of temptation. We have access to the treasure house. And in the hour of temptation, there are the treasures. McLaren speaks of ingots of gold, like bars of gold and silver all around. And he said, the, the, the only reason to come out of there empty is your own fault. You're allowed to carry out of there as much as you will. You can have as much as you want. And it's individualized in the sense. He's so brilliant the way he, the way he, the way he puts this. You know, he says, it's individualized. We'll come out of that with exactly what we need. And, and the, and the, and the metaphor that Alexander McLaren gives is so brilliant. He says, listen, if you pour water into a vase, the water takes the shape of the vase. You could have four different vases. They're all different shapes. You pour water into them and it's all different shape. The water fills the individual vase and, become, and it fills it to its shape. And we're all individual vases and as the Holy Spirit gives us these gifts, they, they, the gifts take the shape of what we need when we need it. And if we come out of there empty-handed, it's only our own fault. It's one of the applications of this truth, I guess, would be how, you know, we, how little of God we're satisfied with. Giftedness and grace, giftedness and service, growth and grace, I'm sorry, giftedness and service. All of these things are gifts. So we have active love, God being poured into our hearts. That's grace. Specific individualized gifts. That's grace. And thirdly, he talks about the beauty of character. The beauty of character. He doesn't say much about that, but I thought about that a lot. And you know, and I've shared this with people, it's been a while, but there is a beauty. Um, there is a beauty that can be seen in a person who belongs to Christ. I remember having a conversation probably 10 years ago with a young woman, and she was struggling with a number of different things. And 
one of the things she was struggling with is she didn't think she was very beautiful. And I told her, I said, do you, do you, do you want to know what real beauty is? And she said, what? What is real beauty? I said, real beauty is the reflection of Christ in the life of a woman. I mean, you can see it, boy. I mean, when a, when a woman's heart is surrendered and submitted to Christ, she becomes so gorgeous. You can see it in the way she dresses. She's not revealing with her dress. She's very cautious about that. The way she adorns herself, the way she walks, the way she converses, the way she talks. There's a beauty. When Tammy and I are away and we visit other churches, we see that. It's, it's easier to see in people you don't know. You know, you can, you can kind of sit and observe and you can see. And like, wow, look at that. That, that. that woman is beautiful. Why is she beautiful? I can see Christ in her. That's why. And the same thing could be said for the men. You know, humbleness, you know, uh, checked ambition, and et cetera, et cetera. You guys know the picture, don't you? And this is the beauty of grace. It's the beauty of grace. You see, if we are, if we are recipients of God's grace, then it should have affected our character in the sense that we begin to reflect the beauty of it. I think we need to pray for this. I think one of the applications of this is as we go about and we try to share the gospel, as we are filled with God's grace for that, as we call on God's giftedness for that, we need to go further and say, Lord, beautify that. Beautify our message in such a way that we don't sound legalistic. Beautify our message in, in, in a way that with our lives, we really are reflecting the character of God that um, it really does. Because a lot of times we can share the words, but if our life doesn't reflect the character, it sounds like a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal, doesn't it? Just a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. You know, the, the outside doesn't ma match what's coming out. And we need to ask God to, 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 to go that third step and, and, and beautify our message, if you will. And that happens. Um, that's, that's a third definition of disgrace. I'm going to conclude just by talking about the word stand for a moment. If you look back to Romans 5, verse 2, through Christ we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Again, it's kind of a metaphor of a, a place. We could call it a treasure house, right? If we use Alexander McLaren's words, go through Christ the door and into the treasure house. And it's in the treasure house where we stand, isn't it? Uh, and by this word stand, I think we should see this on two different fronts. We should see this on God's side and see this on our side. On our side, why are we in there? We're in there because God has justified us in Christ Jesus. He's come to us. Uh, he, he, he has sought us. He has called us. He has blessed us with his grace. And he has transferred our filth to Jesus and Jesus' perfect, beautiful righteousness to us. And the moment that we believed savingly in Christ, in that moment, we were declared righteous then and there. And once you're declared righteous on God's side of things, if your faith is true saving faith and you've been declared righteous, that isn't something that's going to change. It happens one time. 
and it's permanent. And therefore you stand beyond the door in Christ Jesus because God has put you there. The righteous man says Psalm 1 is like a tree planted, planted by streams of water. Planted by who? Planted by Almighty God. There the tree stands because it's been planted. Right? It's been planted. But on the other side, on the human side, it's a a lack of double-mindedness, isn't it? You remember double-mindedness? I talked about that a couple of weeks ago. Uh, James speaks about double mindedness. If any of you lacks uh, wisdom, come to God and ask who gives generously without finding fault. But he who asks, okay, you can't be double minded. Now, you remember, I sorted that out. What's that speaking of? That's speaking of the person that says, well, I, one minute I believe God's there and the next minute I don't believe he's there. One minute, I, one minute I'm dragging with him and the next minute I'm not. All of us have doubts. That's not what's being, being talked about here. What's being talked about here is someone who's lacks a, a, a long-term conviction uh, of things. Uh, John Calvin puts it this way. He says, quote, by the word stand, Paul means that faith is not changeable persuasion. It's not changeable persuasion only for one day, but that it is immutable. That means unchanging. Immutable, that it is unchanging and that it sinks deep into the heart so that it endures through life. It is then not he who by a sudden impulse is led to believe that has faith and is to be reckoned among the faithful, but he who constantly and so to speak with a firm and fixed foot abides in that station appointed to him by God so as to cleave always to Christ. I mean, put it another way. You remember when we were talking about Abraham. Did Abraham have doubts? Yes, we see that very clearly from his testimony, he had doubts. But at the end of the day, he was resolved to serve the Lord, wasn't he? And that's what's in view here. And by that faith that God has given us, that resolvement, that conviction, I mean, can you do anything else? If you have true saving faith, you can't. You can fall here and there. You can can even backslide for a while, heaven forbid. But can you do anything else at the end of the day when you know God is there? You know Christ died on the cross. You can't really do anything else. Why would you want to? It's that conviction. Having once seen. Amen? I think that's a good place to stop. Let me pray and then we'll come to the table. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these truths, Father, that you have given us. Father, we slow down as we as we go through this uh, first couple of verses. And as we go through chapter five, uh, verses one to 11, Father, we slow down. And Father, we we uh, we are so blessed to slow down here. And we are so blessed, Father, to take in the word peace and to take in access. And Father, this really well springs up joy and that's the next thing that we take up father is joy and uh, father we can see that we can see where that joy comes from father we thank you for these great things that we have in christ jesus and we thank you in jesus precious name amen and amen